Good afternoon and welcome to episode five of the Political Tipster. Uh, now, this week we shall be doing a bit of a post-election analysis for both the Cheshire Mane mission and the Batley and Fenn by-elections. Uh, but before we do so, uh, I just thought I'd do a quick update on, on where we're at. So last uh, episode, of course, uh, I spoke about the French regional elections, and I'm happy to say that both of our tips came in for that. Um, so we said that uh, the Republicans and Valérie Pécresse would win Ile-de-France. Um, actually, the United Left um, ticket did rather quite well, but still couldn't knock her off her perch. So uh, that was a pretty modest 1.5 odds. And then actually a nice little boost that we found was the uh, um, Assemblement National, the, the far right Marine Le Pen's party, not to win a single region. Uh, that came in, so that, that was boosted to even. So I thought that was pretty generous uh, because actually the Greens pulled out of their, well, pulled their list out of the one region which... Um, the uh, Rassemblement National might have won. So uh, that was a very modest uh, 30, 30 pounds profit, but we'll take it anyway. Um, so now we're going to move on to the by-elections. Um, and this week I'd, I'd like to uh, reintroduce uh, Bournemouth's editor, uh, Peter. Uh, welcome back to the show. Hi, it's great to be back. Uh, that's associate associate editor. I'm not quite a not quite a not quite up there yet, but uh, we'll. Okay. Well, but it's, it's it's good to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, so before we we get into the conversation, I, I thought we'd just look back at the results. So Cheshire and Amisham was uh, uh, quite a storm, really. Um, we were predicting a, a small sort of decrease in the Tory vote share, and we got a an absolute thumping majority for the Lib Dems. So uh, the results, so the Lib Dems, 21.5, well, around 21,500, so they were up 30.4%. The Tories down to 13,500, which was town almost 20%. Uh, the Greens actually took third place with uh, 1,500. Uh, they were down 1.6. And another big story of the night was Labour crashing at 600 votes, down 11.2%. So we had tipped the Tories to get between 40 and 50%, 45% and 50% of the vote share. That didn't happen, unfortunately. But little consolation prize is that we did tip the Greens to finish above Labour. Uh, actually, Betfair gave us that at two to one. So overall, we've, we've still come out with a modest £20 profit. Um, so Peter, all, all I can say is well, what the hell happened? Yeah, well, we, yeah, we certainly didn't. Um... <laughs> Certainly didn't do too well on on this one. Um, I will say, but well, we didn't quite project a uh, a modest increase in the Lib Dem vote share. We did say, I, well, I, I think I think I said it was. I expected it to be between 35 40 percent, which would have been about a ten to fifteen percent increase, which 
we were still being quite substantial, but uh, yeah, obviously it was well beyond uh, well beyond that. Um, you know, they finished at what fifty six percent of the vote instead of the uh, the the forty percent high that we anticipated. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's definitely a big shock. Um, um, you know, it wasn't. Uh, I guess it makes us feel any better. I think it came as a shock to, to most commentators uh, that you know that weren't uh, you know probably on the ground there in the final few days. Um, although the uh, the Lib Dems I've spoken to who were there in the final few days said that they definitely sensed uh, you know kind of a big change in the in the, in, in the local mood, and uh, it didn't quite you know come as a shock to them, which I suppose makes sense. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, um, clearly a by-election, you know, where local issues were very important. I think we probably underestimated just how much of an impact they would they would play over, you know, kind of just baseline partisanship. Um, you know, those local issues, you know, mainly being the government's planning reforms and to a smaller extent, uh, you know, HS2. Um, Lib Dems did a very good, you know, job of leveraging that. I mean, to their credit, by all accounts, they run a, a very, very good uh ground operation, you know, knocking on by some accounts, tens of thousands of doors, uh, over tens of over 10,000 doors, you know, uh, on election day. Um, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like bombarding the, the place of activists and, and it's, you know, and uh, it paid off very well for them. I mean, the Lib Dems, you know, um, what quite this says about, you know, the Liberal Democrats national prospects is perhaps, uh, not quite as clear. This is a party that does very well at by-elections historically, but uh, usually fails to translate it into general election success. I mean, just as an aside, the last two by-elections that the Lib Dems, where the Lib Dems won a seat from the Conservatives, uh, first uh, Richmond Park in um, 2016, and uh, then followed by Brecken and Bradnisher in 2019, uh, both of those seats then went straight back to the Conservatives at the following general election, so that being 2017 and then 2019. Um, although Richmond Park, the Lib Dems later won back in 2019. But um, th it, it, this is a party that, you know, famously does quite well at by-elections, but then struggles to um, to convert that into a, you know, into an international success, partly because, you know, in the... Um, in an election like this, you know, they can just bombard, you know, one seat with everything they got. They can, you know, run a very localized campaign. You can't quite do that on, uh, you know, on a general, in a general election setting. So you, you don't believe at Davy's words then uh, that uh, the blue wall is in, in big danger of, of crumbling now? Well, first of all, I guess we have to define what we actually mean by the blue wall. Um, I, I, I find it rather annoying by this point just how we tend to label everything you know that you know every every kind of stretch of support geographical stretch of support for a single party and now has to conform to some kind of definition of a wall um you know if you look at a political map of england there's no such thing as a blue wall there's a there's a blue ocean with a few archipelagos of non-tory seats um but um but look i mean if, if by blue wall we mean uh, sub more suburban younger socially liberal uh Romani seats uh in kind of the, the the tour in the conservative southern heartland um then sure i mean like um you know it does show that the lib dems can win these places but so did the general election of 2019 i mean if you 
because what, what what happened in 2019 was you know that like Cheshire and Amersham Cheshire and Amersham wasn't you know a big uh, you know shock in that regard you know it wasn't the first election when we realized that Lib Dems can win these kind of places because you know they um um, even though they didn't win many of those seats in 2019, they made very large advances in uh, in quite a lot of them, you know, uh, to name a few, you know, Isher and Walton, Guildford, Winchester, Wimbledon, you know, th those, you know, those kind of suburban and um, um, more, and, uh, and with some exception, well, I mean, in the case of uh, Wimbledon, more of a, well, it's a London seat, but, but it, it, generally speaking, more suburban, um, you know, wealthier Romanian constituencies. They, they they have been gaining in these places in 2019. Uh, Chesh Chesham shows that they still, you know, have uh, a chance to drastically improve their position with these voters. Um, I, I, I don't know whether, I don't know if, whether this means that the Tories should now be completely panicking, um, you know, that all these places will go to the Lib Dems in the next general election. But I mean, to be fair, you know, if there's a general election, you know, I don't know, for argument's sake, let's say this general election next year and the Lib Dems, you know, they don't have to do that much better than they did in 2019 to flip a f uh, to flip quite a lot of these seats. Uh, well, by quite a lot, I mean, maybe, I don't know, up to a dozen. Um, it, it's, I mean, I think a comparison worth drawing here is uh, with uh, the, the Conservative campaign in 2017 and then 2019. Um, similar to how Boris Johnson's, uh, you know, uh, success in the so-called Red Wall didn't quite come out of nowhere as well. Um, if you look at 2017, um, the conservative, you know, campaign there and Theresa May um, built, you know, a lot of that groundwork um, in the previous general election. You know, in, in, in a lot of the seats which the conservatives then won in 2019, the Labour majorities had fallen already in 2017, you know, in the same election when the, uh, when the Labour Party actually made gains in every region. Um, so, so if 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 the Lib, you know the Lib Dems just have to run a bit of a better campaign than they did in 2019, we uh, hope that the government isn't quite as popular. And yeah, they do have a, a very real chance in quite a lot of these constituencies. Um, I don't think that's necessarily something that we've learned from Chesham. I think that's mainly something we've learned from 2019. Yeah, I was just looking at some of the constituencies which are labelled as now sort of potential um, places to steal for the Lib Dems. Uh, and this is based on the local election results. So again, sometimes you cannot translate national to local directly, but this is looking at the aggregate uh, results uh, where there was uh, more than a 10% swing from Tory to Lib Dems. So you have Cheadle, Cheltenham, Hazel Grove, Henley, Ipswich, Wantage and Watford. And yeah, they, they sort of fit that bill, which uh, you were talking about. Um, but interestingly as well, um, Labour has also been eating into these sort of uh, seats as well. And, and one sort of um, example which sticks out to me is Worthing Council. So before 2017, um, Labour didn't, never had a single seat on the council. And now in 2021, they have 15 and they're one election away from potentially having a majority there. Uh, and, and what's really interesting actually is that it, it used to vote for UKIP and mm. it voted to leave. So this is the sort of seat Labour could never dream about. 
but actually I've, I've seen this as a lot of people say this is rather down to a sort of spillover. So you have a lot of young uh, people who are coming in from Brighton and London uh, because housing prices are, are too much, the rent's too much. And actually this process may accelerate um, because of sort of remote working and working online has become more popular since the pandemic. So possibly we might begin to see a, a demographic change and a spillover from London, Brighton into these, into places like Worthing and, and possibly do some damage to the Conservatives there. What do you think about this phenomenon? Um, well, um, I think it's true to say that there are certain so-called blue walled seats where uh, Labour, you know, is uh, kind of the primary opposition and where they could do well. I mean, the, the two that come to mind to me are Wycombe and uh, Hastings, Hastings and Wright, um, both of which were, uh, you know, top Labour targets uh, in uh, 2019. Um, Obviously, that didn't come to pass due to the disastrous overall national result. But uh, you know, they probably will be significant targets. You know, when the next general election rolls around. I mean, for Labour, the uh, the issue um, with this kind of strategy is, first of all, they haven't quite got that. There's just not enough of these seats for, for really to make any meaningful difference uh, in the parliamentary arithmetic. Um, you know, the, I mean, there there are quite a few. There are a few others. You know, like um, especially uh, kind of on the. Uh, peripheries of London, uh, you know, Chingford and Woodford Green comes to mind. Um, you know, the difference between Labour and the Liberal Democrats is, um, well, first of all, the Liberal Democrats um, are generally more successful in winning over conservative, you know, conservative voters, just because they're not, it's not, I guess, perceived as quite the, you know, the jump from conservative to Labour. Um, and some of these people, you know, I voted Lib Dem before, you know, before, before 2010. Um, I mean, I, I, but I think a more important kind of key difference is that, you know, if the Lib Dems, if at the next general election, the Lib Dems, you know, due to some kind of blue wall strategy, managed to win over 10 conservative seats in these kind of places, they would be very happy. If Labour, you know, has this strategy and wins over, you know, the same amount of seats, you know, that still gets them nowhere close to government. So, you know, the, the difference is, you know, here is that one party is, you know, trying to win a majority in Parliament, the other one is really not. Um, so yeah, but, but, but generally, generally speaking, the labor, you know, doesn't have quite as much to, uh, doesn't have quite as many targets in these kind of places. If, um, you know, um, there, there's been, there's been kind of murmurings after the local elections, you know, after labor won, uh, the, the Southwest of England mayoralty, um, you know, that perhaps they need a, they need to target the South and, you know, David Lammy was, um, saying that this could be a but at the end of the day, you know, the, the math simply doesn't work, um, you know, for Labour to, to win power. Sure, some winning some of these places might help. But at the end of the day, the, you know, the, the, the road to power for them still lies, you know, in the north, in the Midlands, uh, in Wales, and, you know, possibly in Scotland. So, um, yeah, quite, uh, I, I read quite recently, actually, uh, somebody sort of did the maths and, uh, the first past the post system actually has a pro Brexit bias, very similar to um, the electoral college, the Republicans. Uh, so actually, there there are 
how I think it was over 60% of uh, parliamentary constituencies voted for Brexit. Obviously, only 52 in the popular vote. So you see uh, uh, the first-past-the-post system does give an advantage to uh, pro-Brexit parties. Um, but it's interesting you, you mentioned uh, planning before playing a big part in this uh, this result. And actually, I, I was I was doing a bit of reading, and um, it seems that actually a, a lot of these constituencies who were, you know, Tory through and through in the southeast uh, are actually beginning to become um, a little disillusioned with the party, uh, primarily because of its uh, housing policy and its uh, housing planning policy. Uh, recently, uh, there was a, a new housing uh, reform bill, which seems to be rather unpopular. So it, it's trying to replace our housing system with a more American style zoning. So local authorities would be forced to divide communities between three types of zones, uh, protected, renewal and growth. Um, and in the growth zones, uh, outline planning permission would be granted automatically to qualifying developments and the rights of local people um, to object would, would really be curtailed. And essentially what this means is that uh, places in a growth zone uh, would be essentially seen as almost a, a building site, uh, which would leave a lot of these constituents very angry and disenfranchised. And, and actually, this has had a, particularly a, an impact on the southeast, uh, where actually that there are targets for the, the Lib Dems or Labour to take from the Conservatives. So can you see this, this housing bill ever coming into fruition? Or uh, Because, for example, there were backbench rebellions from the likes of Theresa May and Jeremy Hunt, who were whose constituencies would be impacted. So will this bill ever come into fruition and what, what consequences might that have on, on Boris? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that much. I haven't looked too much into the actual parliamentary arithmetic with the, with the legislation uh, concerned. Um, I mean, certainly it's, it's the case that after Chesham, a lot of Tory MPs uh, will be you know more concerned about kind of revolts in their own in their own constituencies um over over these reforms um i i i don't i don't know too much i haven't looked too much into the actual kind of whipping situation and how likely that legislation is to pass um i i think uh, from what i read it, it would be we there currently is around uh 20 backbenchers re ready to rebel but um, it will certainly be interesting to see whether that uh, bill does come into uh, fruition or not and um, yeah it, it seems to be from what I've read a, a rather unpopular uh, policy in the, the southeast of England so certainly something to uh, keep an eye on. Um, so now we're going to move on to Batley and Spen, which was uh, honestly one of the ugliest elections I've, I've witnessed. 
Uh, it was an election really riddled in quite nasty identity politics. Uh, we saw, for example, Labour um, leafleting uh, leaflets, which seemed to try and stir up anti-Hindu sentiment sentiment amongst uh, Muslim voters in the constituency. You had George Galloway, who just was making everything worse for everyone. And you had an array of far-right parties who were just uh, making things even uglier. Um, so quite surprisingly, actually, uh, Labour managed to hold on to the seat. Uh, so I myself had tipped the Tories to win. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't come in. Um, but we did get our main tip. Uh, six, well, we, we had success in our main tip. We said Labour between 35 and 40% of the vote share. We just about squeaked in with that. I, I think they got around 35.3%, something low. It's 35.6, uh, I believe. It was just okay. over 35, yeah. So we just yeah. on the lower on the lower range of our yeah, which was that the whole result confuses me because I would have presumed that would have been enough to see the Conservatives win. Um, so the result, Labour 13 point around 13.3 thousand. So they were down 7.42 percent. The Tories just under 13,000, so down 1.61%. And George Galloway with 8.2,000. I, I don't know where those votes came from. And the Lib Dems down to 1.2,000, which is down 1.32%. Um, so, Peter, how did Labour hold on to this seat? Well, it's, 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 it was quite, you know, it was quite a it was quite a surprise. Um, that's for sure. I mean, just just to reiterate, when we said we expected Labour to win between thirty five and forty percent of the vote, that was with the assumption that they were going to lose the seat. So you know, if you if you told us then that you know Labour's going to you know win this amount, you know, we said okay, like that, um, they probably would are going to lose it. Um, if you told me, if you told me on the morning, you know, after the by-election, if, if, if the only information you gave me was that George Galloway won over 20% of the vote, I would have immediately assumed that Labour got absolutely trounced. Um, because, you know, he was predominantly targeting their vote, um, you know, effectively running a spoiler campaign. Um, so the fact that they managed to, you know, albeit very, very narrowly, ha ha you know, hold on to badly and spend, I think is actually quite impressive. Um, what, um, I, and, you know, to, uh, you know, to add, you know, it wasn't just George Galloway, you know, trying to eat into the, into the labor vote and doing a very good job at it. Um, you know, the, the conservatives also had a, a substantial, uh, right-wing vote, uh, from an independent candidate who wasn't standing this time that presumably was going to go to them as well. So it was kind of the perfect storm, um, which labor managed to, to survive. Um, how do they do it? Um, well, I mean, Essentially, and we don't have, you know, individual level data, so, you know, we can only assume, uh, but it does appear, and this is, you know, backed up by, uh, you know, labor, labor sources who have talked about this, um, is that effectively, while they lost a very substantial chunk of their core vote to Galloway, um, they were able to uh, 
to get quite a significant amount and, you know, sort of, the, you know, just about enough uh, of uh, Tory to labor conversions. Um, presumably in the more, um, in the more middle-class areas of the constituency. So, you know, more spend, less badly. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, that was just about, about enough to, to see them through. I mean, essentially during the course of the campaign, they had to build kind of a new electorate for themselves and they, they managed it. Um, there's also some, you know, assumptions that because the presence of Galloway turned the campaign quite, you know, so nasty, and because Galloway himself was seen, you know, as such a uh, such a horrid figure by so many so many voters, including you know more moderatory voters, uh, that's you know his presence could have um, led to more conservatives switching to Labour just to you know um, to see him away. Um, how much how that compares to I, I I'm. I'm I, I would assume that like how many of those voters, you know, who are motivated by that, whether that's more than the vote that Galloway took from Labour, you know, I think that's probably far from true. Um, but 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 I think that was you know that that was a, that was a factor as well. Um, like you know, um, so yeah, Labour effectively uh, ma managed to do what they completely failed to do in Hartlepool, and that's actually take votes away directly from the government. Um, if Galloway wasn't standing, I think it's probably safe to say that the Labour majority would have been quite a lot higher than 300, uh, possibly higher than it was at the last general election. Uh, that was helped by, by all accounts, um, a very good ground campaign, um, including on election day. Um, in, in, in contrast to both the Galloway campaign, which whose ground <laughs> operation was by all accounts terrible, and uh, they who were, you know, very, very experienced, didn't know where their voters were. Uh, their get out the vote was a total mess. And the Tory campaign as well, uh, you know, um, uh, then one, 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 uh, one local conservative spoke to, I think, uh, the, the editor of Conservative Home and effectively said that, uh, uh, you know, a ground observation was just a complete disaster. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I uh, yeah, it's a combination of, you know, just a, a good Labour campaign, a, a very, you know, good local candidate who, it initially seemed that Labour were taking quite a big gamble, you know, nominating someone um, who could be perceived to be more of a celebrity candidate um, as opposed to, you know, perhaps a well-known local councillor. But by all accounts, uh, Kim Ledbetter probably won that, you know, given the tiny margin, probably is the, one of the reasons that the seat didn't go Conservative. Um, there was apparently a lot of voters who were saying, you know, I'm voting for Kim, but I'm not voting for Labour. Um, and, you know, it's in, 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 a, in a local campaign, I guess it helps, you know, if you're the only candidate who lives in, your, in the constituency. Well, we, I can see that we've uh, read the same articles because I had that quote as well. Uh, I'm voting for Kim, but not for Labour. Oh, yes. Um, but it, it did replace uh, an actress herself, didn't she? So... Batley and Spen are yeah. used to uh, celebrity candidates. Well, she's uh, not a celebrity candidate, you know, in the in the yeah, like in the media. sense of you know, she's not an actual celebrity. I mean, she's it's the fact that you know she's uh, the sister of the sister of the the the, 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 the former MP who you know was assassinated. Mm. Uh, so there's kind of you know that emotional kind of connection. Um, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, it looks like you know her nomination was was. Uh, 
was a good idea. Um, even though at the time, you know, there, as I said, there were quite a few murmurings, you know, like, you know, why didn't Labour pick, you know, a, a well-known, uh, you know, local councillor, preferably, you know, from the Muslim community, um, you know, like that was, that was a major concern, you know, because after Galloway came in, that was certainly a big, you know, kind of concern that perhaps that's what they should have done. Um, but no, I, I think the, uh, the candidate certainly was, unlike in Hartlepool, uh, was certainly not a, not a weakness for Labour. I, it's strange to me because it, it really seemed like an election which Labour deserved to lose because from what I saw, it, I wasn't on the ground, but uh, from, from what I saw, a lot of it was too focused on uh, international issues such as, uh, as I mentioned in the last episode, you, you had leaflets handed out which talked about Kim's position on uh, Kashmir, Palestine, you had this leaflet, very bizarre leaflet, about the fact that Boris had met uh, with the uh, Prime Minister of India. Um, and it, it just seemed like it, it was really um, too focused on international issues rather than local socioeconomic uh, issues. It's... I mean, I, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's quite true. I mean, by the way, with regards to the, to the leaflet, um, there, there, you know, there's some, um, but to be had, I, I don't think it was quite as, uh, as blatant as, as you're suggesting. I mean, the, like the, it was, it was, um, it was mainly around, uh, you know, kind of, uh, saying that the Tories hadn't done enough to tackle Islamophobia, um, and, uh, you know, tying it, that into the, uh, the Kashmir, uh, situation internationally. Um, I, I, th I think in terms of the, like the, like the international, uh, issues aspect. Um, I think it was mainly something that Labour decided, you know, they had to do to mitigate, you know, losses among, among the Muslim community. Um, I mean, certainly, you know, that, that's the reason they, uh, you know, they were started talking about, you know, Kashmir and, uh, and uh, Palestine. Um, I mean, aside from that, um, I think if you look at the Labour campaign, I mean, it was pretty focused on local issues. I mean, certainly, uh, um, certainly Kim Ledbetter um, herself, I mean, from what I've seen was mainly talking about, you know, crime, antisocial behavior, you know, the, the closure of the, uh, the local police station, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that, I mean, that certainly came across to me as, as, the, as the main focus of the campaign. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean you, you're correct to point out that there were some kind of injection of international politics into it, um, especially, you know, you know, around the, the Kashmir-Palestine issues, but I, I think mostly it was uh, uh, a relatively locally focused campaign. Um, I, was, I was reading quite recently uh, a really good article from uh, Will Lloyd in uh, Beyond Heard, who was talking about uh, Labour's sort of globalist obsession and uh, he was specifically talking about the fact that Ed Miliband and uh, Gordon Brown had recently released books and both of them just almost didn't mention Britain. It, it was really about trying to the typical um, sort of global problems, global solutions, uh, very technocratic. And, and he has a very nice quote, actually, which I, made me chuckle, which was... Uh, if Gordon Brown found his house on fire, uh, he would convene a summit of global thought leaders before he called the local firemen. And I, I remember during the local elections when 
the two parties were campaigning, uh, for example, the, the local Labour candidate were knocking on my door and they were talking about the NHS um, or they were talking about uh, some sort of uh, international issue, which wasn't, there was hardly any talk of my actual local area, whereas the Conservatives came round, they were talking about potholes, they were talking about uh, parks, bins. Um, I don't know if it's, if you've seen that yourself, but it seems as if Conservatives just understand right now that people uh, people warm a lot more to local issues and, and talking, uh, which is why actually someone like uh, Tiger Patel has become quite a big name because he's someone that's just, it's all about tackling local issues and getting your hands dirty. Well, I guess you have to uh, when you're a councillor. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if you're a party aspiring, you know, to, to lead the nation, you're going to have to have some, you know, uh, something to say about foreign policy. Um, I think the issue for Labour is not so much that, um, that you know, they're, they have an overemphasis on international issues. Um, I, I think that's, you know, that, that's, that's mainly, uh, I think that might be somewhat over-exaggerated, you know, by the, uh, by, you know, people on social media and, you know, Labour student groups. Uh, but um, I, 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 I think that I think, you know, the bigger issue is not that they, they're saying too much, you know, on international subjects. I think it's just that they don't have much to say about anything at the moment. Um, you know, it's, it's not it's not that they're it's not that, you know, they're not trying to talk about uh, more, you know, local and, you know, national issues as opposed to international. It's just at the moment, the party hasn't quite figured out what it wants to say on any of those things. And uh, well, straight after the result, uh, Keir Starmer makes uh, a big speech, says uh, Labour are back. Uh, are Labour back or is, just, or is this sort of uh, a delay of the inevitable crash? Yeah, well, look, I mean, at the end of the day, for as impressive as I believe, you know, their win in Batley was given the circumstances, for um for the opposition to not lose a seat to the government in a by-election you know that that's kind of a you know you expect that don't you that's that's the baseline um you know even if the result wasn't you know let, let's assume that you know galloway wasn't standing and uh labor was able to you know instead of a majority of um 300 they had a majority of i don't know let's say 5,000, so a bit higher than at the last general election you know that still wouldn't really tell us anything like it would tell us that labor is not completely imploding, um, but it, it tells us very little about their ability to, to win the next general election. Um, at the end of the day, you know, if, if for labor to, uh, to, um, to even get close to a parliamentary majority or to even get close to, you know, to, to being able to form a government, you know, uh, for, them to, for them to not lose seats like Batley and Spen, um, you know, that's, you know, that, that's, that's, that, should, that should be obvious. Um, and Batley and Spen, by the way, I should add, is not, you know, quite your, you know, typical kind of, you know, red wall seat. I mean, I, I personally wouldn't even really consider one. Um, but, but yeah, like, they, they don't just have to, uh, to not lose Batley. They have to win back, you know, Hartlepool and Sedgefield and Darlington and, and Great Grimsby and, you know, like everywhere else that they lost in 2019. Um, 
So look, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think it really tells us too much about, I mean, cer certainly to say that now that we've not lost badly, you know, now we're on the path to victory, I think is very silly. Uh, you know, you're still substantially down on the polls and all that. Um, I think what, what, what you can say is that it certainly improved morale within the party. Um, and, you know, that in itself could, you know, be quite helpful when you're trying to win elections. Uh, what I found quite interesting as well, because we've been talking about in these two episodes we've done about the realignment uh, across the country, and actually it seems to be there's a realignment in the, the membership's mentality. So uh, you may have seen this uh, Redfield and Wilton uh, research poll about two, two three days ago, uh, and they asked members of each party uh, how you think the government should balance finances. Mm. And the Conservatives said 39% said spending, 39% said increased taxes. Labour, 43% spending cuts and 37% increased taxes. And that's quite significant because I saw another poll, Tim, Tim Bale Research, found that 60% of the UK electorate now places itself in the left authoritarian quadrant um, of the political compass. Um, so is Labour doomed to lose more of this red wall and just has to now focus on uh, the more liberal cosmopolitan seats? Well, I think as we said uh, earlier on when we were talking about Chesham, they, they can't do that because the math doesn't work out. Um, I mean, by the way, like uh, when it, when it, that, uh, that, that Redfield and Whitten poll that you mentioned, um, I'm not quite sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'm not quite sure just how much it tells us because, well, first of all, you know, the question, do you, you know, do you want less or more taxes? Um, it doesn't imply anything about, you know, how we want these taxes to be spent. Um, also should be mentioned that this very, a much larger chunk of the, you know, the conservative electorate is much older than the labor electorate, which means that there's a much higher chunk of the Tory electorate, which will not really be paying income tax. Hmm. So obviously for them, it's kind of easy to say, yes, we want, you know, want the young, you know, to pay for our stuff. Um, I mean, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite sure um, just how much you want to read into that. Although I do find it quite funny that uh, the most pro-tax party, according to that poll, is the Liberal Democrats. Yeah. And um, well, another sort of tactic which has been mentioned a lot because, um, of course, it, it's looking more and more difficult for Labour to ever really win back a, a majority uh, because Scotland seems to be lost. Uh, these hundred odd seats, which used to be safe seats, are now in play. Uh, it's looking more and more likely like Labour would have to commit to some sort of progressive alliance, which has been suggested. So I, I the electoral calculus actually did some sort of maths uh, and they sort of said if there were to be a progressive alliance, so, you know, uh, Lib Dems and Greens and Labour pulling out candidates where the other party is most likely to win. So 
the Conservatives would lose 58 seats to 307. Labour would gain 36 seats to 238. Lib Dems would gain 14. Greens would gain eight. But that's in the mentality of thinking that um, Labour voters would automatically vote Lib Dem, Lib Dem to Labour. Now, I saw an interesting deep sauce poll, actually. So in the last election, 56% of the electorate voted for a progressive party, but actually only 45% of the electorate had an unfavourable view of the Conservative Party. So there is a good chunk of people who aren't necessarily, who are voting probably Lib Dems, uh, someone like that, and who are not necessarily anti-Conservative. But Peter, do, do you think this is Labour's only possibility of having getting back into power? Or? Um, well, if it is, then they're doomed uh, because it won't work. Um, I mean, by like that, uh, that uh, electoral calculus research. I mean, I've I have my own issues with that. Uh, partly, you know, the the way they decided which seats you know would be given up and which wouldn't be, and that you know the assumption again that everyone would turn out and you know vote in that specific way. Um, Look, at the end of the day, I think the Progressive Alliance stuff, um, the only reason, you know, we're talking about it is because Labour's, you know, and Progressive Party is having such a hard time. Um, and, and ultimately, it's a loser's mentality because what the, um, and it's lazy politics. I mean, fundamentally, I think that is probably why I dislike it. Um, because it says, it effectively says that we can try to win the next general election, not by changing anyone's minds, uh, but by effectively cheating the voting system. Um, and, um, you could even, you know, and even if you were, you know, uh, cynical enough to say that that's a good idea and, you know, nothing necessarily wrong with that, if that's the system and, you know, if you can do it, you, you know, if, if, if that's the way to win, you know, go ahead. Um, um, again, aside from the fact that it's just lazy, uh, but the, the, uh, the bigger issue is that it, it's it pro it almost certainly will not be effective. Um, there, there are, there are so, several reasons for this. Um, um, so the assumption here is that in exchange for Labour standing down in a few seats, the Greens and Lib Dems would stand down in a bunch of conservative Labour battlegrounds that Labour would need to win back, such as places in the Red Wall. Uh, so here we come to our first issue, which is even if we assume that every single Lib Dem and Green voter will turn out and vote for the Labour Party, you know, two very big ifs, um, that still won't be enough in a lot of seats. I mean, the, the, uh, the Tory majority in, uh, for instance, Sedgefield and Great Grimsby, to name two, you know, these crucial red wall seats that Labour needs to win back, the Tory majority there is larger than the total amount of Lib Dem and Green voters. So even if every single one of them turned out and voted Labour, that, that would not be enough to take that, those seats off from the Conservatives. You would still, you know, actually need to do the hard work of changing people's minds, which uh, people who are in favor of progressive alliance apparently refuse to do. Um, the other issue is that when it comes to the Lib Dems, which is where most votes, you know, for Labour, you know, tactical votes for Labour in this progressive alliance scenario would come from, um, most Lib Dems aren't as favorable to Labour, I guess, as some advocates of a progressive alliance assume. Um, if we, we actually have some data on this uh, in terms from the last local elections, because of how uh, Lib Dems have allocated their second preferences and mayoral contests and so on. And we have other polling data from before then. And 
other contests. And essentially, um, what the data tells us is that if forced to choose between Labour and the Conservatives, a, most Lib Dems would choose Labour, but not by a massive margin. So, you know, if the Lib Dems decided to stand down in every single Conservative Labour battleground of the next general election, it would probably be enough for Labour to pick up a couple of places, but it wouldn't be anywhere close to enough uh, for any meaningful swings to, to take place. Uh, just because, you know, yeah, quite, you know, while most of those votes will go to Labour, you know, a lot of will go to the Conservatives and it just won't be enough to overturn most, most of those majorities, you know, Labour will still have to do the hard work of changing people's minds. Um, and, and the same also goes for the Greens. I mean, if you look at the, uh, I don't know what it was in the, in the latest um, uh, local elections, but um, I know in, in the West Midlands mayoral contest, not the most recent one, uh, I don't, I haven't seen quite the data from that, but uh, in, uh, in, 20, um, in 2017, uh, most uh, Green voters uh, put Conservatives as their second preference in the West Midlands. So you, there's there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance you know here. You can't just assume that uh, if one progressive party stands down, then all of their voters will go to the other one. Um, in many cases, even if that is to happen, it still won't make a difference. Um, and in most cases, uh, it just uh, you know the split is far more balanced to actually to actually uh, to actually meaningfully affect it. And I think also voters hate having their choice removed as well. Um, I know a lot of people who uh, would simply not vote if they were only given a choice between uh, two parties. Uh, uh, people hate being told uh, how to vote, essentially, and uh, I think that could backfire as well on Labour. I mean, the, the, there's also an element of that. I think, I think the, I think the, the biggest uh, thing that could really happen there probably is just a lot of people just won't vote any, uh, mm. you know, won't vote if their main, you know, favorite candidate isn't on the ballot. Um, I mean, again, like most, uh, like if we're talking about the Lib Dems, you know, most of them would vote for Labour, but nowhere near enough of them. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think no, the Progressive Alliance will not will not solve Labour's issues. Um, for for the for the for the reasons mentioned, um, and I said the only reason you know Labour or certain groups within Labour are talking about it now um, is just because they're desperate and they're out of ideas. Um, at the end of the day, every you know eventually in this country we will have a non-conservative government. You know we're not North Korea, um, so eventually we will have a non-conservative government, and in most likelihood Labour will lead it. In some form or another, um, you know, that, that, that day will come. For, for when it does come, it will be because, you know, Labour has found a way to win back enough voters directly from the Conservatives, um, like they've done every other time they've come out of the wilderness. Um, and, um, and, you know, and not because they found some clever, clever hack in the voting system. Uh, you know, you, uh, you see this often, you know, with parties like when they're kind of faced with kind of electoral desperation. We saw it with the Conservatives during the Blair years. Um, you know, after you know, after two thousand one, there was so much kind of despair, and even after two thousand five, when they, uh, when the, um, when the vote shares were quite close, but Labour still had a solid majority. There's a lot of talk about you know how the system was you know rigged in favour of Labour, and that if the Tories ever want to reliably win elections again, they have to you know do this and that. They have to bring in voter ID. They have to um, 
you know, change uh, change boundaries more to their in, into their favor. And ultimately, you know, the way conservatives ended up actually winning is, you know, uh, changing their message, modernizing and changing people's minds, which is generally how these elections are won. Uh, well, then let, let's talk about how Labour gets back into power then. So Keir Starmer, is, is he the right man for the job or is he holding on by the skin of his teeth now? Um, I mean, right man for the job, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, he hasn't been doing too well lately. Um, but, um, I am, I, I, th I think, I think, I think the question, you know, is, is he right for this kind of assumes that there's someone like, if the answer is no, it assumes that there's someone else who will do it better. And that's kind of where I struggle. Um, you know, it, is is Keir Starmer the absolute best that you know Labour can can offer right now? I mean, I hope not, um, but um, you know, for the, for their for their sake. Um, but um, yeah, there's there's not you know there's not a single person kind of in the uh, in the parliamentary Labour Party that kind of you know screams you know potential you know uh, you know leader in waiting. Um, the wow. only the only the only person everyone can never bother to bring up is Andy Burnham. And sorry guys, he's not available. Um, he tried to be Labour leader twice, and you wouldn't have him both times. Um, and he, and he's not an MP anymore. And even if he wanted to stand, he he's not allowed to. So um, yeah. I, and uh, by the way, that kind of ties into your second question, which you know is is Starmer in serious trouble? And that's kind of why the answer is no, not really right now. Um, because neither, neither the more kind of right-wing, you know, Blairite faction in, in the PLP, nor the uh, nor the more uh, nor, nor kind of the the left um, and the socialist campaign group and so on, you know, neither of them really have an alternative candidate. Um, you know, it's not like during you know, it's not like during New Labour when you know it was very clear that you know Gordon Brown was the clear alternative to. Uh, you know, to Tony Blair, and um, it, it's yeah. There, 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 there's, there's no other, there's no obvious candidate, uh, both to to Labour MPs and to the electorate at large, um, and because of that, I don't think there will be a leadership challenge anytime soon. Because, but because there is no obvious candidate, neither neither faction really would feel that they. Would necessarily win a leadership contest if it materialized. You know, it would be quite funny if uh, if there was if there was a challenge launched by you know the socialist campaign group uh, that ended up installing Yvette Cooper as leader of the Labour Party, um, and certainly rather avoid that. Um, you know, there's a lot of murmuring about you know Don Butler or Rayner, um, neither of which I think would really be credible uh, challengers. Um, there was some go. There was some Yugo polling done recently, which you know showed that like most Labour members would still vote for Starmer again, um, and more importantly, that there isn't any clear alternative to him, you know, for the membership. Um, I, I I did read uh, rumors actually that uh, apparently the Socialist Campaign Group had uh, a candidate waiting in the wings to. Uh, uh, as soon as Batley was supposed to be lost, uh, but apparently they couldn't even muster up the 
40 nominations which were needed so uh, they're gonna have to regroup and uh, start again um, but it, it, before the Batley result it, it felt as if uh, like uh, people had rained on Burnham's parade because uh, for example the New Statesman uh, dedicated their latest issue to him you know the, he did that interview where he basically said uh, he was ready to uh, come back if he needed to be uh, and then the result came in and it's sort of like uh, now what do we do uh, yeah, well, I, I think a lot of that was much ado about nothing because, I mean, I guess, you know, some people may debate this, but ultimately, I think even if Labour had lost badly, uh, I don't think Starmer's leadership would have been in any immediate danger mm. uh, for the reasons, you know, I outlined previously, which is that there's no credible challenger to him and neither the left nor the right thinks this, that they will be the ones to, to benefit from, uh, from a Starmer departure. Um, and I mean, historically speaking, certainly Labour is very, very bad at getting rid of its leaders. Um, so, um, as far as, you know, things stand right now, I mean, Starmer will probably next general election as leader of the Labour Party, um, unless something dramatic changes. How, you know, winning badly, you know, certainly, you know, helps them do that, um, uh, you know, to, to steer the ship and say, you know, hold on guys, you know, we're not totally imploding, we can, you know, we can still, we can still give and how easy would it be or, or was it impossible to, for example, if, if we wanted to install a bit of party discipline to try and essentially save the Labour Party, um, possibly parachuting uh, a Labour MP in a Manchester or Liverpool seat into the House of Lords, getting Burnham back into the, uh, the House of the Parliament, having a 1987 style policy review and just sort of yeah get getting back to more focus on immediate and material issues rather than the sort of toxic cultural issues which are surrounding labor how is that possible i think labor's trying to do that i mean i, I don't I, again like when it comes to the toxic cultural side of things I, I'm, I'm not sure how much of that is actually what Labour is saying and how much of that is, uh, you know, uh, uh, people on social media, you know, uh, appearing, you know, to be larger in force than there really are. Um, but, um, I mean, when it comes to, um, I, mean, I, I don't know, I, I think, you know, they are, there is going to be clearly some kind of shift in shift in message from Starmer. Um, I think we'll have to wait for Labour conference to see just exactly what it will be. Um, you know, presumably, you know, there will be kind of more attempts to, you know, signal change and signal kind of some kind of modernization um, effort. Um, but uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that there's really a a viable mechanism for, for someone else to to come along and take over the, the leadership. Um, I mean, certainly Andy Burnham, you know, when, when he says, uh, you know, that, you know, I'd be happy to come back, uh, you know, uh, whenever, you know, I'm, I'm needed. I mean, at the end of the day, I think, I think he probably likes being asked those questions because he probably finds it rather amusing.
uh, that he tried to run for the leadership twice and now everyone wants him back. Um, and uh, that also presumably, you know, someone like him might want to keep his options open in the near future. But at the end of the day, he is almost certainly going to serve out his full term as, uh, as the mayor of Greater Manchester. So um, I think people should people should probably stop getting too overexcited, uh, too overexcited about that. Well, you mentioned about the sort of policy change. I think a step in the right direction actually was the I British uh, scheme, uh, which Starmer announced. I think maybe the day after the uh, Batley election. Uh, it, it's rather similar, actually, to Jeremy Corbyn's Build It in Britain, which everyone seems to have forgotten about, actually. Uh, but I think, yeah, certainly that, that's something I'd support and uh, I'd like to see him advocating more um, in the near future. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it seems at least at, at face value, like uh, electorally, you know, beneficial policy. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, perhaps a good indicator for whether uh, a certain um, Keir Starmer policy is... Uh, is going to play well with the wider electorate. It's just how angry people on uh, the, you know, people on the far fringes of Red Rose Twitter get, um, which in this case, uh, I, th I think there was a considerable amount of that. So, you know, who knows? Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I, presumably we will be seeing kind of more of that kind of, um, I hate to say, you know, populist, but, you know, that, um, you know, a, a kind of a, a signaling of, some kind of new approach you know towards you know home affairs and so on coming towards labor conference it, it is interesting how you mentioned that like that kind of was a corbyn policy already um and uh i guess it i guess it shows how much the the messenger uh matters as you know as much as the message um yeah which, I, which, which is important because you know i guess that is the difference between something being seen as just a cheap cynical ploy and you know actually mm. A meaningful pledge. Yeah, of course. Um, so we'll we'll finish with some more longer term tips uh, today. So it's it's interesting that you you say that Keir Starmer will survive um, longer than the bookies believe because how long is so that? So I was looking at Keir Starmer's exit date, and they believe twenty twenty three or earlier is eight to 13. Um, well, there could be a general election in 2023, so that might not be too bad of a, too bad of a prediction, but. Okay. Um, and then 2024 was five to one and 2025 or later is nine to four. So the, the, the bookies believe Starmer will be gone by before 2023, so. Yeah, I mean, well, before 2023, I guess, is slightly different to 2023 or earlier. Yeah, sorry. Because, yeah, because yeah, like, uh, there is, you know, a, there is a potential that there will be an early election in 2023. Um, if, you know, the Conservatives feel that that's the best time for them to have it. We've clearly all forgotten about the existence of the Fixed Term Parliaments Act. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, so I would, you know, I wouldn't be, yes, too surprised there i mean i guess what i would say is i i am very much skeptical that he will be gone you know in less than a year i i, I think certainly he definitely has that much time so essentially a prediction is that he he'll survive till the next election and then he'll probably 
uh, lose his place after a, an election defeat. I mean, I, well, if you were to hold a gun to my head, then sure. <laughs> um, I, I mean, like it's it's it feel it feel if you know with how with how volatile politics are and how much you know and, and, and all that, I think it would probably be a bit silly to uh, to to make any prediction yeah. that far into the <laughs> that far into the future. Uh, but I mean, yeah, like if I, if you were if you were to force me to bet on an outcome, yeah, I'd say that Starmer will probably fight the next general election and will and. Labour will probably lose it, and then we might have another leader come in. But mm. uh... Uh, speaking of which, so the latest leadership odds are predicted to be the next leader. We have Andy Byrne in favourite at three to one, Lisa Dandy at six to one, and Angela Rayner at seven to one. Um, will it be one of those three, or or not? I. I think Lisa Nandy probably has a better chance than the other two. Uh, Angela Rayner, because I don't think she would quite have the uh, the membership support. Um, or and Burnham, because I'm still skeptical as to how he would even be able to stand. Um, because there will probably because okay, if we make the assumption that the most likely uh, time for the next leadership contest is right after the next general election. Um, I don't think Andy Burnham, you know, if he wants to serve out his full term as mayor of Greater Manchester, I'm pretty sure that he won't be, a, you know, quite make it. Um, so, um, oh, and well, he would have to, well, to, well, he won't because his, I'm, I'm pretty sure his, his current mayoral term would run over the next general election. If you would even want to be part of that leadership contest, you would have to, you know, mm. vacate his position early and then try to stand for a parliamentary seat. Um, um, under the very obvious, with the very obvious assumption among everyone that he's doing this to, to become the next Labour leader. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I'm not sure about the Burnham hype. Um, I mean, Lisa Nandy could, you know, as someone who uh, stood in the last leadership contest and while, um, you know, while coming third didn't, uh, you know, impress quite a lot of people. Um, I'd say she probably, you know, has a, has a decent shot. Um, although, you know, if Keir Starmer tells us anything, then might very well, be, you know, be someone who, um, who neither, who none of us currently expect. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so we'll wrap it up for, for uh, this episode. Uh, Thanks again, Peter, for coming on and uh, sharing your expertise with us. No worries. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be on. Um, so I'm not too sure what which uh, elections are coming up next. Um, there is quite a tight contest currently for the New York uh, mayoral election. Um, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep you up to date, of course, uh, of any upcoming elections. Um, but yeah, that's it for me today. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and, uh, we'll see you all very soon. Bye-bye.